Hi, I'm Kim, and this is Commanding Conversations. I'm a 40-something-year-old mom that decided that this stage in my life I am not over. I realized that now that my kids are getting a little bit older, that I can still reach out and reach my goals and maybe set new ones and see where I can get. And when I realized this, I saw that having conversations with people, so many others wanted to do the same thing. But something held us back. Something always kept us in the shadows. Well, I'm here to help us break out of the shadows and shine in the light that was meant for us. So I created Commanding Conversations. I would like people to help us share their stories, their experiences, network, and I want all of us to learn how to fail forward, reach our success, get out of our comfort zone, and try to find a way to be the best version that we can be. I know that this is totally possible, and I wanna build a community where we help support each other, have a little fun. Those topics that you don't want to talk about, don't worry, I do. And then we can always end every show with a little advice and a lot of spice. So if this sounds like something that you're interested in, then you are in the right place. So sit back, relax, and join in. Thanks. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Commanding Conversations. I'm your host, Kim, here to talk to you about life, everyday topics, and of course, a little advice with a touch of spice. On today's episode, I'm so excited and honored to interview author, motivational speaker, and expert realtor, Kathy Kincannon-Nosek. Kathy's novel, My Darling, 99 Love Letters, is a beautiful story based on the love letters her father wrote to her mother during World War II. Think Nicholas Sparks as your history teacher. It's amazing. Let's dive in to hear it from Kathy herself. Hi, Kathy. Welcome. I have to admit, I am so excited to talk to you and share this story. But I have to ask, how did this all begin? Oh, Kim, thank you so much for letting me be here today. I am so excited to talk about my darling 99 Love Letters with you. It's one of my passions, and I am so happy to share it with your audience. So the question you're asking is, how did it all happen? Yes. Take me back to the beginning. What inspired you? Well, my dad's love letters. I found them after my mom passed away. Actually, I had known that they were there, but when I did originally find them, I had asked my mom, what are these letters? And she's like, "They're they're my letters. And I'm like, what letters? She's like, they're letters from your dad during the war. And I asked her if I could read them. And she said, not till I'm gone. And did you ever peek? Never, never. No, I respected her. I just wanted to. And I'm actually glad I didn't because I think it would have changed the whole dynamic on how I read the letters and what I was getting from them. She would have had her own spin on it. So I think it was better that I did wait. Oh my gosh, I love that. But like I said, you are so much better than I am. I would have peaked right away, just like a little kid on Christmas morning before they were allowed to open their presents. Well, I used to do that. Oh, see? Okay, well then I don't feel so bad. (laughs) Kathy, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you came from, what your family dynamic was? Like paint the picture, set the scene. Let me know how everything came about. I'd love to. 
I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, and I am the middle child of five. My mom and dad, they, my mom actually lived in Oak Park, so we're really five generations coming from that town, and I Beautiful. loved it there, and I would move back there in a heartbeat. Their taxes are just a little too high for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> But um, we lived in the same home for about 38 years since I was five years old. And in 19, I would say around 1994, my father took a really bad fall down a flight of stairs. We oh, lived no. in a two-story home. And it was like a little Queen Anne, but it had a nice, beautiful front porch. And it was just somewhere. We lived on the best block in Oak Park. That sounds awesome. We just, it, it was a wonderful place to grow up. I, we feel very blessed. So this happened because my dad had cataract surgery, and okay. he was told not to go upstairs, but of course he did. Of and course he did. we only had one bathroom. You know, back in the day, you had a little cubbyhole for a bathroom. Right, I know. And we had sometimes nine people living in our home with one bathroom. God bless you I guys. I have to laugh about that now because I'm in real estate, and everybody has to have their own bathroom. Right. You know, they're ensuite. <laughs> Me too. Right? I'm in that. I'm part of that category sure, too. I know, I know, but... This night, Daddy went upstairs, and he had to go to the bathroom, and he went downstairs and fell down the whole flight of stairs. Oh, my gosh. And he literally was never the same after that. It was, he was calling for his mommy at the bottom of the stairs. It was the saddest thing. And, of course, being as close as I was to my mother, I was her first phone call, and we rushed over, and my dad went to the hospital. And after that time, it was a a very slow digression of his health he just kept losing a pieces of himself little by little that has to be so hard it was to watch. so hard to watch and I know the audience has you know experienced similar things and it's it's devastating to everybody but in 95 they decided because of the stairs they needed to move out so that is what started this whole journey so you're helping downsize we're helping okay. downsize i wasn't in real estate at the time yet but i was the one that was always there packing we were packing up in 35 years of family that's a lot and just the whole piece of moving out of the family home was very emotional on all of us sure i I went up to every room. I actually say this in the book. I went up to my closet in my bedroom to say goodbye. You know, I believe it. it. Just, There's so, there many, so memories many memories there. Yeah. So I found, this is when I found the first time, the letters that were in my mom and dad's filing cabinet in their bedroom. How did you find it? So mom and I were in the bedroom and we're packing up things and we're, you know, throw this away, keep this, donate that kind of piles. And in the filing cabinet, there were these unusual yellow-looking letters in a plastic bag, and they didn't fit in with, like, the bills and right. the bank statements and everything. Right. So immediately I'm like, Mom, what are these letters? And she told me they were Dad's letters, and I again, I asked her if I could read them, and she's like, no, you cannot read them until I'm gone. And so I respected that, and then... Did you and put them back in the filing cabinet? put them back in the filing okay. cabinet, and that filing cabinet moved to Darien, where they found a beautiful little ranch, two-bedroom, two-bath. Oh, wow. Moving on up. Yeah, on the pond. You know, it was a beautiful. lovely place. So they lived there until my dad died. Well, dad died in 2000. Okay. And then my mom lived there until about 2008. So she was there on her own, and then she was getting lonely. 
And she and Joe, my husband, always said, if you ever want to move in, you have a place with us. So Perfect. one day mom said, Kathleen, I'm really getting lonely. And I said, okay. And I was in real estate at the time, so the house went on the market. Actually, we rented it for a while, but... Um, and she moved in with us, and along came the filing cabinet to my house. Now, was the filing cabinet and the letters in it still, like, in the forefront of your mind, or never. did you kind I of forget? I didn't really think about them. Okay. I never really gave them much thought. Got it. And uh, so mom lived with us for the la- last eight years of her life. So okay. So she died in 2013. How is that? Because I know how close you were with your mother. My mom and I were like two peas in a pod, and we did everything together. I love it. I have a sister that's 22 months younger than I, but she was all she lived out of state, so she was, you know, she'd come in for frequent visits, but she wasn't here. Right. So it was mom and I. We were like, you know, the two musketeers. I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. No matter if I had to just go put a lockbox on the house, a house somewhere, she wanted to come for the ride. So. She was my compadre, you know. It was sure. very hard losing her. Oh, very my hard. gosh. I am so sorry. Thank you. So then um, when she did pass away, my sister w- was here during that whole period of time. She took a family leave. She's a nurse practitioner and came in and stayed with mom at the nursing home in the whole shot. And um, went back home a few months later, closer to, like, November, December, she came back for another visit, and she started talking about a project that she was going to do. And she wanted to know about the letters. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the letters. Well, of course, they're here because the filing cabinet was the there. Filing ca- and then when we moved out of the, our home in Downers Grove where mom, and, mom lived with us, we just, they were here. So I'm like, yeah, let's bring out the letters. Kathy, tell me what was going through your mind the day you went in the room where the filing cabinet was and you opened it up and you took the letters in your hand and you started to read them. Take us there, paint a picture, tell us what was going through your mind. Wow. I can can relive that like it was yesterday and it was 2013. Yeah. My sister came in for a visit and when Lynn comes in, the family gathers. Love it. So she was here along with my younger brother, Bill, and his wife, and my son, Tim, and my daughter-in-law, Julie, and my grandchildren, Colin and Kelly. So it's and a party. It was a party, and we were all gathered around this dining room table, and Lynn was telling us what she wanted to do with the letters. Well, all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you can't take the letters right. out, away from me, you know. So I listened to what she wanted to do. She's brilliant. She's the poet laureate for Loveland, Colorado. She's okay. very talented. She writes a poem a day. Wow. So she has a gift. Mm-hmm. Her writing is very different than mine, but uh, we both support each other so much. So when she came in and had this idea to display in um, in Colorado the letters from dad because it was a big artist community I was all for it so that's when the letters first came out of the bag that they had been in for almost 70 years was everyone around everyone when, was around okay so you everyone brought it out and every did everyone 
maybe grab a letter? Or was it more you I and was your so sister? Possessed. I was so I don't blame protective. you. I won't say possessive, but maybe I was a little bit. Those but are my letters. I was very protective of them sure. because they were old, and I don't know what... I never really touched them, so I didn't know what kind of... And it was still a piece of your mom. And it was, and it was like, mom... But they're watching us do this. Right, like, exactly. <laughs> I just the parent guilt are. never goes away. You know, so I we had the letters all out on the table, and we started putting putting the envelopes in chronological order. And then we would each be able to read one. So Lynn was the first one to read one. And actually, Colin videotaped that, and I actually oh, have that on video. Oh, that's awesome. And we could not believe what we had in our hands. Honest to God, I... We were laughing, and then we were crying, and then we couldn't believe some of the words that my dad would use for my mom, like a swell gal. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I love it. And we just all of a sudden realized what we had in our hands. It was... It was history. Exactly. It was not only World War II history, it was their history. Yes. And things that we never, ever knew because they kept so much to themselves. They kept basically everything to themselves. So I learned so much just through reading these letters. I read every single one of them more than once. I'm sure you can probably memorize them. (laughs) What surprised you the most, realizing that the story was from your parents' point of view? What took you... Or your family, like, what took you by surprise? Daddy. <laughs> okay, sure. how so? Because if you knew my dad, he was he was born on a farm in southern Illinois. He was a very quiet, gentle soul and very pensive. You know, he just, he didn't say a lot. And sometimes it was because he was surrounded by a lot of women and he couldn't get a word. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen anyway. <laughs> right? So that's good. <laughs> but the other piece of him, like when he would, would, he would say something or he would crack a joke, we were all like, oh. <gasps> so, You're like, oh, he and does then have a we're side. reading these letters and there are sometimes seven pages. Oh, my and goodness. And they're raw emotion. Oh. And telling my mom how he feels about her. And he always mentions his mother. He always mentions my mom's mother. He always mentions my mom's brother. He was amazing. He he loved his family. He was missing his family. And the demonstrative part of the letters is what really... It, it, I mean, I could cry about it right now. I see the tears yeah. in your eyes and believe me, yeah, the audience that can wasn't feel it. The dad that I knew, mm-hmm. and I think if you, when you read the book or we talk more about the book, um, you'll, I think you'll, the audience will understand why he came home a different person than he left. Wow. Yeah. And this is why I'm so excited to get this story out. Kathy, can you do me a favor? Can you step back in time and can you tell us how old your mom was and how old your dad was when the letters first started? What was going on? Let's set the scene. I'd love to. My mom was a 19-year-old beauty with dark raven hair and hazel eyes. She was, she's stunning. And I just think when you look back on some of the old pictures of women of that era, they all were beautiful. I agree. They were, I love that and they era. Were, they were stunning in their dress. They were stunning in their hairstyles. And Always to the nines. Very classic. And that was my mom. And she was tall. She was like 5'10". Wow. And yes, I'm the run to the litter. <laughs> 
She was 5'10", and my dad was about 6'2", 6'1", 6'2". Wow. I, I come from a very tall family. Love it. And um, daddy was 24, mom was 19. And they met through a, another couple. My, my, my mom's best friend, June, introduced them. Love it. And as destiny would have it, they worked at the same factory in the city of Chicago. And it was called Modern Modes. So they did breast forms, uh, dress forms, um, or sewing. Oh, perfect. For dresses. Got it. I'm oh, sorry. And uh, my mom, let me just go back even further. When she was a little girl, she was a huge, huge Cubs fan. She and her brother used to go, and they were bleacher bums from day one. And so she loved baseball. And my dad was a pitcher. For in the minor leagues. Wow. So June, her best friend, knew how crazy my mother was about baseball, and she knew that Daddy was a pitcher. So she pointed him out from across the factory room floor and said, we're going to introduce you to that guy. And my dad was handsome as heck. He had the, if you know Elvis, he had the boof. The poufants, <laughs> yeah. Hair and a uh, tall, thin guy and handsome and a smile that would kill. I and love it. They they set it up and my dad didn't know what hit him. <laughs> oh, that see meant to be. Yeah. So before they, daddy was in the war, and before the letters were actually from the war time, he was traveling for baseball. Okay. So the very first parts of his letter came from places like Kansas or Ocala, Florida, or you know South Carolina, and that was all baseball letters. How he was cool. Pitching. And mom would travel and see him when she could. You know, she was a 19-year-old. Right. But her mother was pretty liberal. And I think mom had a lot more freedom than a lot of I was going to say, that would have been today. like taboo yeah. back then. Yeah. What year are we in? So we're in, well, mom was born in 23, so 42. 1942 is when the letters start. What were some of the things that your dad spoke about with his baseball career? Oh my gosh, he lo- he was a pitcher, uh-huh. and uh, he loved the game, and that was that was the love of his life. Awesome. And he he had a dream for himself, you know, to to get into the major leagues, and he played with a lot of different, very actually some of his letters mentioned some people that others would recognize from the from the major leagues. So, unfortunately, he went into the army in nineteen forty three, and he was in special services, which meant he was playing ball for the army. And they did not rest his arm. They didn't know the things they know today to rest a pitcher's arm. And they literally, in many of his letters during that period of time, talks about how sore his shoulders were. So when he came out, he he couldn't, you know, realize his dream, unfortunately. But my father has left a huge legacy behind. How so? Well, my brother Michael, my oldest brother, he is, was a baseball coach, and he also was, well, he was a lot of coaches for baseball, uh, golf, and all of that, but he is in the Illinois Baseball Hall of Fame. How awesome is yeah. that? And my youngest brother, Bill, played for the, he was a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds and the Miners, and my nephew, Bill's son, youngest son, Will, King Cannon, he plays for the White Sox right now, and he's in a ball. So he's uh, he's just had Tommy John surgery, so he's mm. in, he's recuperating, but he's right. doing really well. He's in Arizona right now, so that legacy has definitely 
And and that's a beautiful word for it. It's a legacy mm-hmm. that just keeps going yeah. on. Like that's built in their DNA. It is. It's in How their DNA. How wonderful yeah. is that? Much to the girl's chagrin. Right. Of course. <laughs> of course. But I'm proud of my brothers. <laughs> Ag- oh my gosh. How could you not be? Yeah. So what? So how long was your dad away for baseball and did he come home? Did the time overlap before he went away in the army? Well, he, according to the letters, because most of this is conjecture just by the chronological order of things, but early 1943, I think it was May, he was in the army. Okay. So from the letters, I believe they start April of 42. So there was a good year there, but he was playing ball long before that because he was already 24. Right. So he was playing ball before that, before he met my mom. And uh, so... He met the second love of his life. There you go. (laughs) He absolutely did. And one that supported him in his dream. So... Which is hard to come by. They were a perfect match. Awesome. Yeah. So at what point were your parents... Were your parents already married? Did they get married? When did they get married? Um, Tell me about that. Well, it's very interesting when you read these letters because you are only hearing my dad's side. You're only listening to my dad's words to my mother because daddy probably couldn't carry all the letters mom was writing, right? But by by reading my dad's letters, you can almost hear what my mom is saying. Yep. And so she was a 19-year-old girl, madly in love, smitten as can be, and she wanted to get married. Sure. Daddy was a pragmatic person, and he he also had a very controlling mother. Uh Uh-oh. So I had one grandma on one side that was very controlling, and the other one was very liberated, you know? So it was just like (laughs) night and day. Night and day. And his mother did not want him to get married. She was putting up blockades. And my dad loved his mother and listened to her. So there was always that that tug of war that my dad was feeling. And he, he kept saying in the letters, there's a war going on. You know, we should wait till the war is over. And whatever my mom was saying back to him, she was breaking him down because all of a sudden they're engaged. Ah, See, (laughs) that usually happens. So he came home on a furlough June of 1944 and they got married June 3rd at St. Edmund's Church in Oak Park, of course. And uh, yeah, they were married for 56 years until my dad died. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. How long was the furlough? Was he able to stay for a little bit, or did he have to go back right away? No, he was home from June till August, because the, the letters start picking up again in August. Got it. And then he had another one before he went overseas. So okay. this is when the war is really heating up. There's a lot going on in Europe, and he didn't know where he was going to end up, but uh-huh. the letters always had a date, and sometimes where they were and then that stopped and all of a sudden it was somewhere overseas or Uh somewhere in Europe or somewhere in the United States because they couldn't divulge where for security reasons so um, you know a lot of this is just me piecing things together by the things that daddy wrote and it's an incredible story he went through a lot there's a chapter in the book and it's called premonition (laughs) Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about that without giving too much away? Oh my gosh. Yes, that is really, that was, it was written April 15th in 1944. And it was about my mom wanting to get married. 
And my dad's response to her was, there's a war going on, and if we get married and you have Mike, he will be without a father. He may be without a father. And the weird, I had to reread that and reread that because I couldn't believe what I was reading. And then I'm looking at the dates and I'm like, how was he saying this? You know, Mike. And then fast forward one year in 1945, April 12th. My brother Michael was born. Oh my gosh. So, so see, he knew. It's like he knew. Yeah. So in April, when Michael was born, where was your mom and where was your dad? Mom was home mm-hmm. living in Oak Park with her mother and their newborn baby. And my dad, we didn't know where he was. Mom didn't know where he was. So what he happened? Was MIA. <gasps> can you go more into that? I can. December 16th, 1944, was the Battle of the Bulge, and my dad was in the infantry, and he was on the front lines, and he was captured. And I have, in the book, I have a um, letter from the War Department. My poor mom is home with this baby and listening to the radio with all this awful news about what's going on with the boys, and she has no idea if he's dead or alive. alive. Mm Mm-mm. So she didn't find out for seven months. Seven, seven months. months. Yeah. So she carried a baby, gave birth to a baby alone, and didn't even know if she had a partner. Right. That's devastating. Yeah. How strong your mom must have been. Oh, incredibly. Wow. And brave. Brave and just... And they kept us all to themselves because my mom and I, we were like... Like I said in the beginning, we were like two peas in a pod. We spent so much time together. I had my own very young love, and she was very supportive. And But she never, ever, ever told me what she went through. Wow. And we would never know. We would never have figured it out hadn't it been for these letters. Oh, my gosh. Think when of- you start doing the timeline and you start realizing, and you, you just sit there and you cry about what they went through. But how beautiful, too, to be able to even have these. How lucky you are that your mom saved all of these. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick minute to thank you for tuning in to Commanding Conversations and that I am so grateful that you're here. If you could do me a huge favor and if you could like, share, and subscribe this with your friends, that way we could keep the commanding communication flowing. Thank you. Okay, back to the show. So your father was a prisoner of war. How did your mom find out? Well, that's very interesting because I have a letter from the War Department, and that is dated, I want to say it's April of 1945. And the War Department, she had already reached out to them wanting to know information, if they had any information. And this is one of the saddest letters that I've ever written, read in my life because it is basically telling her what happened, that the infantry, his infantry was surrounded, and they lost all communication. And then you're hearing on the news from the president that so many men have been killed. So you don't know where he is. Oh my gosh. You, you just don't know. And there's no, and he's like, your, our sympathy continues with you. Any further word, we will reach out to you. But 
that's April when my brother was born. And my, my mom, June 1st of 1945, was the first telegram she received that my dad was back in military control with the U.S. That had to be such an amazing day for your mom. Yeah. Because I can imagine if there's a telegram coming to your house during wartime, usually it's not good. Yeah. So this had to be such... It was 12.01 in the morning she received this telegram. Best news probably ever. With a three-month-old. I mean, it boggles my mind that my mom never talked to me about this. It boggles my mind. This is such a huge part of them. Yeah, what was she feeling? What what did she do? What did her mother do? Because her my grandma loved my her her son in law. I mean, everybody had to be like throwing a, a ticket parade, you know, that this has happened. That daddy is alive and he's coming home. And so I think he got home around July period. Because what I do know from that period is that, you know, these guys were not treated well. Mm-hmm. They were pretty much starved. Uh, one of the stories that Daddy would talk about, and all five of us could tell the same two stories. One, okay. the food was terrible. They were given soup with maggots in it. Oh, my gosh. And Daddy, at one point, didn't have the soup and want the soup, and the guy next to him said, I'll give you this ring if you take my soup, if I can have your soup. And I don't know if Dad took the ring or not, but he gave him the soup. And the other one was how cold he was. Oh, no. He said he's never in his life been so cold. And when I was researching the book, I found pictures of his Stalag. He was in Stalag 4 and B in Germany, in Russia, Germany. And those pictures, it's just snow-covered. So it was that period of time where Dad would have been a, a prisoner there, and he said they just about froze to death. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so one of the other stories was the equipment that they were so ill-prepared. You know, these guys are walking around in shoes and boots that don't fit. And just kind of makes me a little angry that, you know, these guys are giving their lives or... And they're not even given, like, uh, proper equipment to survive. Yeah, I'm hoping that has changed for the soldiers today that are serving. I agree. And one of the things I do want to say is that what this has taught me is that it's the men and women that serve go through so much and so do their families back home. And I never would have thought that. Right. I mean, yeah, you leave and then you come home, but they don't always come home. And then what did my mom go through going through this pregnancy and having the baby by yourself? So it's the men and women and their families. It's a, it's almost like a family disease. Sure. You know, everybody's affected. Or when you come home, how much of you comes home and how are you different? Mm-hmm. Do you think your father was different when he came home? By the letters that I read and the man that I know, yes. Wow. Definitely. So if I had a question, I would ask my mom. That would be it. Did the guy that left, was he the same guy that came home? Wow. So I'll I never mean, I... know that. But just through the letters, I'm drawing my own conclusions. That sure. Definitely that that whole experience changed him. Did your father like to talk about the war no. or any stories? No. Huh. Did... No. I think you're either one or the other. I you're agree. You're either one that goes to the VFWs and hangs out with everybody and, and hashes over old war stories and uses your benefits from the VA and, you know, you're entrenched in it and, you know, it's a piece of you or you're not. And my dad was not. He wouldn't even use his VA 
um, be, uh, benefits that he had ever. And he paid for his own everything, prescription drugs, and he could have used that, but it's almost like he wanted to forget that sure. that piece of him ever existed. Sure. So, Kathy, tell me when, to the best of your knowledge, from the letters that you read and the father that you grew up with, tell me how he was as a father and from your observation, like how he was as a husband. Did he, maybe did he find happiness back in sports and baseball? Was he quiet? What what brought him happiness? Let's talk about your dad for a little bit. Okay, I'd love to. He He was a great guy. And one of the things that I thank him for regularly is how he was the most inclusive person. He, he cared about everybody. He cared about human rights. He was empathetic. And um, you could tell I'm tearing up right now yep. because he gave that to me. And I love that. I love that about him, and I thank him, I thank him for that every day. Um, he also was a product of the Depression. So he was on a farm then the mom, his mom wanted to move back here moved to the city of Chicago and he had to quit high school so the education stopped at sophomore year of high school and my dad wasn't going to let that stop him from learning so as an adult all I we used to call him the bookworm uh, Mays Branch Library in Oak Park he was there almost every night he read and read and read he would follow the sun on the front porch or in the backyard reading a book he always had a book oh my gosh and that's great. it was you know it wasn't trashy novels it was it was uh, it was history and it was biographies and it was religion and he just had a thirst for knowledge and I always thought wow I wish he could have left that back with me right it's <laughs> so admirable oh my gosh yeah he was a self-taught self-read genius love it yeah and unfortunately, because of the education, he was stuck in a job he hated for mm-hmm. 40 years. He mm-hmm. hated his job. He retired very early at 56. It probably would have killed him if he stayed any longer. My dad was ostracized at work because he hated the Vietnam War. And uh, people down there, it angers me to this day, used to call him un-American my father, who mm-hmm. served in World War II, was a prisoner of war, was un-American. And then years, years later, which was too late for my dad's peace of mind, <laughs> they literally told him that he was right all along. So he got a little bit of validation. I was going to but... say, even though it was late, <laughs> it was like late but not forgotten. Yeah. It, it actually happened. Yeah. Did he find love back again with baseball? Oh yeah, baseball. Well, but with my brother, so we have we have almost like three separate families. We have my older brother who was born during, you know, in forty five, and then my younger brother is sixty. So there's fifteen years between the oldest and the youngest, and then thirteen months. Dad and mom got busy right again when they got home. <laughs> they missed each other. <laughs> they did, and so I have a second older brother who was born thirteen months after Michael, and then there's seven years between me so they my dad they needed it they needed my dad a break. figured out what was causing that and <laughs> <laughs> love it and then 22 months between my sister and I and oh. then my bro- younger brother so on both ends we have baseball players right so you know as a as the two girls in the middle we had to be subjected to many traveling 
games away and you know i'm sure there's so many people that can relate to that we thought we were over it when michael moved on and you know went to college and got married and but no then my mom has a surprise yay and uh he's and he too was a great baseball player so they had it it was good that they had bill you know later because it kept Kept him alive it kept him young it kept him traveling it kept him wanting more and so it was good for them. But Lynn and I did not like being outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Did did you and your sister participate in sports also? Well, yes, but that didn't matter. <laughs> you know, back in those days, first of all, they didn't have... A, they didn't have that ability to be in a regulated sports thing like they do now. Right. Uh, so, and even if you did, because I was athletic and I, I loved sports, my sister played softball. It, did, it didn't matter. It wasn't no. like a thing. It was just like, oh, look, the girls oh, are yeah. playing. Good well, my you. dad told me my whole life I should have been a boy. So I think that's going to be my next next book. Oh, <laughs> in a bad way or a good way? Well, what do you think? only because I think he knew that I was coordinated. He knew that I loved sports. I was a town boy. So he's like, Kathleen, you should have been a boy. And I'm like... Oh, okay. You're like, well, I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah, looking back at it now, though, I, I see it as like almost a, t- a term of endearment, you yeah. know? Just oh, because... I think he meant it that way. God. I think he was proud of the fact that I was coordinated. Right. I like to do the things that I did, but um, it, you know, I think he felt maybe sad for me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do in. Um, yeah, in you missed out on an realm. opportunity. Yeah. Aww. But that's okay. Were you close with your dad growing up? No, not oh. really. Why? I don't think he really understood girls. I think they, he, I don't know. I think he was afraid of us. <laughs> he was overprotective, you know, so there was a lot of this uh, butting heads uh, because he he didn't allow us to do anything or go anywhere. At How did you me, handle that? I, I rebellion. <laughs> I, totally ever, I totally rebelled and we butted heads a lot. And, but as I got older and, you know, I was a mom and he was now a grandpa of my son, Tim, and he saw the person I was turning into. He just, he did embrace me. And it was probably, you know, early thirties where he finally figured out that the girls weren't so bad. <laughs> girls aren't so they're, bad. And, so, and they're the ones that kept coming back to take care of. Absolutely. You, so, yeah. <laughs> so all of you listening, you be nice to your daughters and girls. Yeah. I actually had that conversation with my son when he was, even before uh, Kelly, like long before he even had kids, how important it is to, you know, spread the love. Absolutely. Okay, Kathy, so we've talked about your dad. We've painted a picture about him. He sounds amazing. Um, But I want to talk about your mom a little bit. You said you're so close with your mom. How is the woman that was spoken about in these letters different or the same as the woman that raised you? Can you go into that? Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't know that woman existed. The woman in the letters? The woman in the letters. I didn't, and I only say that because of my own experience and what she did when I was having my first love, mm-hmm. who ended up, he was my first husband, Tim's father. There you go. Uh, we were high school sweethearts and we were crazy in love and he went away to college and mom would call me off on Fridays because he would come home from Wisconsin State, you know, to be with me over the weekend and he was a couple years older than me 
So and she was lenient like so her she mother. she was very lenient. She, and my dad never really understood that. But mom was just supportive. If, um, if Because back in the day, you had to pay for your phone, long-distance phone calls on a phone that had a cord, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them even had rotaries. Right, rotary <laughs> dial. And so the phone bills were getting crazy. So mom would make me save my own money when I was working at a pizza place. And, I would, and she would take me to Paul's Pharmacy or Avenue Pharmacy across the bridge in Old Park and make calls to him. And then I'd get home and the phone would be ringing. It would be Jim. I mean, we were kind of crazy. I love it. We were. And so she, but did I ever understand it? I remember one time I was crying because Jim was going back to school on a Sunday. And she's like, Kathleen, for Pete's sake, you'd think he was going off to war. What was your reaction? I'm like, well, that's a goofy thing to say. Right. But who, I, why did she say that? I didn't understand it at all. But now I do. And now I understand. And I'm yeah. like, mother, that would have been a perfect opportunity to have a conversation about what you went through. And how, you know, Jim was gone Monday through Thursday you went seven months and without not even knowing, knowing if he was dead or alive. So th- I didn't know her then. And I didn't know that she had that past. And her mother did, obviously, because she lived it with her. And they just kept it private. I remember an interview I did for WGN. They, Marcella Raymond asked me that question. She's, do you think they had a really good love story? Even I know they do. Before you read the letters, and I and I said yes because we had a happy home. They were really good parents. I know they loved each other. I think the only fights they ever had were about the kids, you know, <laughs> or baseball. Oh, there Base- you go. If Bill or Michael had a bad pitching night, oh, you wouldn't want to be at the dinner table. I understand that well. Yeah, but it's uh, but I knew that they loved each other, and I knew that they loved us. So. But my mom, we just became best friends. Love it. Later in life. And she was always there for me. Always. No matter what. She was always the one. She was your rock. She was my rock. She still is because she's still living on. Yeah. When, we, when she lived with us in Downers Grove, it was so funny. She was with us five years and we lived in Downers about 15. And after she died, I couldn't live in that house anymore. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom is everywhere. And I, I'd go out in the backyard where we used to spend so much of our day and I'd cry because my mom wasn't with me or I'd come in the house and I, she was everywhere. Right. I'm like, Joe, we got to move. So mom died in February and we were in this house by May. So that's how fast we were out of that house. And I'm like, Joe, we didn't have to move because she's here anyway. All her things she's are like, here, too. <laughs> she's, she's like, you me. can't she's get rid of me that easy. Me. There's always cardinals in the yard or there's the male and female duck that come and swim in our pool or whatever. That's Mary and Bernie. That's a story for another day. But it's, uh, you know, I have signs everywhere that she's still around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did your grandmother ever talk about anything that happened? No. I and, my, and her mother and I were very close, but no, it was all very, just kept very private. And, was, you know, I only have one letter from my, that my mom wrote. Right. I wanted to talk about that. So the title of the book is My Darling 99 Love Letters. So there are actually 98 letters from your father and one letter from your mother. What's in the letter from your mother? 
That is the most interesting piece because my mom, it was written January 15th, 1945, so daddy was missing. And so think back to December 16th is the day of the Battle of the Bulge. So a month later, mom is writing this letter. Through some of my dad's letters, there was this common thread that he used to say to her. If, if there is a delay in the mail, there's always a good reason. Don't worry, there's a delay in the mail, there's always a good reason. He would, that was a thread that he would say. And my mom's letter echoed what my dad said. How so, so she said, I know you've always told me if there's a delay in the mail, there's always a good reason. And to me, that had to be her mantra. For seven months, she had to be saying, there's a good reason, there's a good reason, there's a good reason. It's, it's something just, to hold on like, to for oh my sure. Gosh, yeah. For hope and, and for her letter to mirror his letter was so bizarre for me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So hers was a three page letter that ended in mid sentence. Mid sentence. Mid sentence. Whenever is the last the last word on the page. This story really makes one think. What legacy would you leave behind for your family? What's the story that you want them to remember? I think the book is for them. The whole time I was writing it, I kept thinking that this is going to be something that I could leave as a legacy to the ones I leave behind. But and that's your parents' story. What's It is your my parents' story? story, but at the same time, it there when you read the book, <laughs> you will know that there's a lot of me wound in there. So it for me, it's just a, it's a historical memoir. And everything that my parents went through, I talk about, and but it's through my eyes. So if you talk to my brother Michael or my brother or my sister Lynn, they would probably have a different story. Well, that actually from their brings perspective. Me, yes, know? that brings me to my next question. What did your siblings have to say about this? Oh, because, well. I mean, it could have <laughs> gone five different ways, and it went your way. So how did your family approach this? That's a really interesting question, and there could probably be a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a lot of support from mostly everybody. I think my younger brother, Bill, when he was here the night we were reading the letters, and then, I don't know, I think it was almost a year later where I actually said I was going to write a book. He's like, why would anybody want to read about what Dad wrote? I said, it's not about what dad wrote. It's about what dad and mom went through. It's yes. their story. It's their love story. And, you know, he didn't get it. But, you know, he's a guy. Right. And um, my brother, Michael, I think, I think sometimes you say, I'm going to write a book, or I'm doing this, or I'm going to do that, and then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. They who knew, Who really believed that I was going to do it? So... I think Michael probably is the most shocked that I did it. My sister Lynn, totally supportive all the way through it. Um, my second older brother, Larry, there's a whole story there that um, in the beginning was supportive and then it all blew up after that. So we haven't talked for over a year. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's, it's him, not, you know, whatever. I mean, he could take it the way he wants to, but um, it's okay. <laughs> I just love the fact that, like you said, it was, it's their story and how your brother said, who would want to hear what dad went through? It's, it's their story or not, not what they went through. Who would want to hear what dad had to say? It's what they went through 
their feelings for each other, how strong it was, how it bound them together, and how they persevered. They did. I mean, there's nothing and more beautiful than that. And they have all of us. I mean, Bill, you wouldn't be here. If I was going to say, you're. <laughs> it, <laughs> <Neither would> I. <laughs> it worked. It worked. It's like the ultimate happy, happily ever after. You know. Yeah. It's a modern day little happily ever after. To find out more, follow Kathy Kincannon Nosek at mydarling99loveletters.com or if you want to follow her on social, go to mydarling99loveletters. Both are on Facebook and Instagram. All right, back to the show. So Kathy, I have a question. Do you have any tips, tricks, anything about how we can start to organize and capture the stories that we already know from the people that are still here, the the references, um, just fun things like idiosyncrasies or, you know, family traditions or heirlooms or recipes. Like what, what should we look for in the generation ahead of us that we should ask for now, knowing what you know now with this beautiful story and this beautiful journey, what should we ask before it's too late? That is such a good question. And it's interesting because every time I do a talk, that is the number one question that people ask. Well, how do I get this out of people that aren't willing to talk? Because my dad wasn't willing to talk. So a lot of this obviously has been learned through his letters. So the conversation that I have with people is to make these conversations purposeful. So it's almost like make a plan. Cool. Not just with you, but with that person that you want to talk. So you could write it down, but I would suggest recording it because there's nothing better than having the voice of the person long after they're gone. I, I have a couple recordings of my mom and I play them all the time to Love hear it. her voice again. And sometimes I'll say something and I sound just like her. It's Ooh. so weird. But I would suggest picking a topic and getting that elder person to sit down with you and play like man on the street or have a and do make it fun like it's an interview for them 20 questions 20 questions and maybe they'll reveal a family secret that you never knew because you know maybe give them uh, their favorite cocktail before they talk absolutely <laughs> i say cheers to that yeah maybe that'll be another project for you you can put like a journal or um like a flow chart notebook together about Keeping the legacy alive. Ooh, Ooh. there you go. (laughs) Speaking of keeping a legacy alive, what's your next project? Oh, gosh. I really do have something in mind, but I'm really concentrating right now on getting this off the ground Mm -hmm. as far as talking to more people, getting in front of people, because this is such a generational story. I've had some really good opportunities to be interviewed on TV and a couple radio stations, and I've had some really good live talks at um, for veterans, which I loved. And just this week, I've got one coming up for Naperville uh, Retirement Community in Naperville. That's uh, I'm their guest speaker. So that's really what I'm concentrating on right now. I want to talk. I want to get on the speaking circuit or do my, maybe my own podcast. Oh, yeah. I know someone. But I do. Yeah. <laughs> I know a girl. <laughs> 
But I do have another book in mind, and I have started to jot things down. And I would just say for anybody that's even thinking about writing a book, because that's I, I hear that a lot. Like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. I've, I, have so, I have a book in mind. Start writing, because I never wanted to write a book. I was going to ask you. I'm like, did you always know <laughs> no, you were going to be a writer? Did you no. always have it inside of you? Never. Never thought I would write a book. Never had a story that I wanted. I have a story I could tell because we all have a story, right? Yes. But I never thought that I would be that one to write it down. And my sister and a friend of hers gave me the best advice. Just start writing. Get a notebook and put your thoughts on paper. If If you're in bed and you wake up and you have thoughts, put it on paper. Because all of a sudden, you're not going to be able to stop writing. And that's what happened to me. How long did it take you to write this book? Um, a little over two years. Oh, my goodness. And then the, the, final, the final product was the biggest struggle because you don't realize what tense am I writing it in? Am I, am I the first person? Am I writing as a third person? Am I writing in present tense? Am I writing in past tense? And then you repeat words and just grammatically yep. am I doing this right and the beta reads and even after the beta reads you get a product sent to you and there's a million mistakes right so it's a long long process um, that's that was almost as hard as writing the book sure because and then once you get the final book then all of a sudden the formatting is off and right. there's a double page and so it's uh it's something that you would never know because you know when you buy your own books you don't really maybe you find one word that's off which is common right but a little typo here and but there my book had lots lots of things to change <laughs> well I'm glad you had a good eye to catch it yeah you know well and I had people that helped me too which was really nice and you know, I think the finished product is good. I haven't gone back to read the actual finished product. I, all I did was check to make sure that the formatting was correct because that annoyed me more than anything. Sure. You know, my dad's letters were the same letter on both pages. I'm like, how did they not catch this? Right. But, you know, every we're all human. We all make mistakes. But, yeah, so that's my goal right now is just to kind of take this and run with it. It's been more than I could have ever expected people have embraced it and like you just I don't know it's humbling to it's have a somebody beautiful story that needs story. to be shared I've had a few people say this needs to be the next movie and I'm telling you it's like Nicholas Sparks <laughs> and a history teacher not that I'm giving suggestions but that is exactly what I have pictured in my mind I do have to share with the audience that um I spoke with Kathy last week and she told me how she had just come from a speaking engagement and at a veterans center and i really feel like you should share this how you did the speaking arrangement or um the speaking engagement i apologize and how people came up and and talked with you afterwards but there was one special person that came up to you and it just shows how this story overlaps so many generations genders ages ethnicity like everyone can relate to this on some level oh yeah that was one of the coolest things it was a naperville response in naperville naperville response to veterans and i was the keynote speaker it was a 30-minute talk i had slides and pictures and the room was filled with almost 600 people it was were you scared no 
I wasn't scared at all because I love love the story. I am so proud of my parents and it needs to be shared. It needs to be shared. I was there. Actually, what scared me was the day before when I went to see the room and and check out the technology and seeing all the tables all set up with the empty seats. (laughs) It was almost like it was more daunting than seeing the people in their seats. You're like, okay, they're here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So on one of my slides is an envelope from my dad's first, uh, second letter when he first joined the Army, and it was at Fort Jackson. And you could see it on the slide, and I talked about that a little bit. Where is and Fort Jackson? North Carolina or South Carolina? Got it. Um, I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> and, like you said, we're all human. <laughs> yeah, right. So I got, when, I, when I got done with it, it was just amazing. This girl came up to me, and she was in uniform. We had all branches of the military there. They came in, and they, you know, they did the flag march. They did the bagpipes. They did the music. They had uh, people there that were singing the songs for every branch of the military. It was beautiful. Sounds And it. this is, I think, their 11th anniversary of uh, having this luncheon. And I go to it every year, and then I just got asked to be the keynote last year, and I'm like... Oh my gosh, seriously? Yes, I'll be the keynote speaker. So the um, this girl was in uniform, and she came up to me. She goes, I have to tell you, she said, I'm at Fort Jackson right now. And I just looked at her, and, and she's like maybe 23. And I just looked at her, and I said, oh my gosh, this is like full circle. Yeah, and me. everything that you talked about, she can relate to, and she can resonate with, and it could potentially be... I mean, I hope we don't go to war, but it could potentially be her future as well. Yeah. See? And, and didn't... it just tells people, write things down, write letters. It's a dying art. And who's going to read text from, you know, 20, it... 30, 40 years from now? You're exactly. not going to have those messages. So letter writing is such a dying art. And we're, I think that people need to get back to doing that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I really couldn't. Where can people find my darling 99 love letters? Well, you could find it on Amazon. Excellent. You could order it through my website. Which, which is? MyDarling99LoveLetters.com. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with us? No, I'm just so happy that you had me here today and I was able to share my story. And I, I hope that it touches some hearts out there. I am beyond humbled and blessed and grateful to be able to interview you, share your story, because I promise you, this is not the last of it. This is such a beautiful story, and there was a reason why your mom saved all of those letters, and there's a reason why she left them to you, to well, your family, and what you did by placing them in this beautiful book is the best gift and the best legacy I thank think you. one could ever give their family. Thank you. Oh, oh you're God, the you. best. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that this story left you as uplifted as it left me. This is only the beginning. I promise you, you're going to say, I remember when I heard this the first time. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. There's lots of shows that you could be listening to. So I wholeheartedly, sincerely appreciate you tuning in and listening to me. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kathy for 
being so kind and generous and wanting to share her story and wanting to share her story with me. I know that it definitely made me a better person at the end because of it. If you want to know more about Kathy and follow her, you can follow her on mydarling99loveletters.com or you can also follow her on social media. Her handle for both Facebook and Instagram are both the same, mydarling99loveletters. Thank you again, and I look forward to hearing from you. If you have any ideas for a commanding conversation, my ears are always open. And I'm always here for you to lift you up, stay positive, and giving you commanding conversations. Thank you so much. Talk to you all soon. Cheers. 